Hello and welcome to Third Time's a Charm, the show that takes an in-depth look at the third movie in a franchise. This is Season 1, Episode 4, Alien 3 from 1992, directed by David Fincher. I'm your host, Mike, and joining me today, the creator of Now and Again podcast and his co-host from that very show, Chris and Nico. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello there. Thank you for joining me for episode four. Um, Okay, so the way I basically start off this show is I like to ask my guests their history with the franchise. So this being the Alien franchise, one by one, I wanted to kind of get your history, how you first saw it, which movie you first saw, how you got into it. So Chris, if you don't mind going first, what is your history with the Alien franchise? Sure. My history, you know, to do like a now and again thing and put myself back in that time period, my grandfather used to love to show me horror movies at way too young of an age um, because he thought it would A, be funny to see me scared and B, be funny to like troll my parents into me keeping them up all night. So I saw, you know, when you when you get to like seven or eight and you've got people showing you R-rated movies, you get into action movies and you hear about, you know, your diehards and your lethal weapons. Um, and eventually, like, I think I think Aliens 2 was the first one I saw due to that, or I should, Aliens uh, was the first one I saw due to that. And, like, that was the big action movie one, and that's the one that hooked me when I was that age. And then I want to say I saw two and then went back and revisited Alien. And then I'm guessing three was probably out by this time. So it probably took me some time to see it until it came out in like the blockbuster. Um, But I saw it and it took me a long time to see another one. I think at the age that I saw it, I was very bored. And we'll talk about that. You know, the pacing of this movie, I'm sure. It took me a long time and like getting the Alien quadrilogy box set before I really revisited three and found out all of the crazy stuff that went on. But like, you know, if like Alien was like my cool, like older goth sister and like Aliens was my cool older brother who like set off fireworks and shit. Alien three was like, like my disappointing dad. Who, like, the older I get, the more I'm like, maybe he didn't do such a bad job after all. It's just, you know, mom yelled at him a lot. No, it's a bad movie. We'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, Nico, what about yourself? Like, what is your history with the Alien franchise? So, I'm really enjoying that this is how this all timed out. Uh, Yesterday, Chris and I recorded an episode of Now and Again that took place in March of 2004. Fast forward to September of 2004, I'm still seeing the same guy that I was seeing in March of 2004, and he and I had a really tremendously toxic relationship. So I'm a guy who actually hates, hates, hates going to the movies. I don't like movie theaters. I think they smell like feet. I don't care for movie theaters, but I kind of like movies. I prefer TV and I prefer plays because they, they're not static. They can change somehow. Uh, the characters can evolve in a TV show and every performance of a play changes it somehow. And that's a big thing for me. So it was always that the guy I was seeing really wanted to go to Blockbuster and make me spend the very little money I earned at Pathmark to rent movies that we would then not watch and fuck through. And the pre-Netflix and chill days. Yeah, it was pre-Netflix and chill. It was, you know, Blockbuster and Bareback. So I (laughs) saw Alien on the shelf and I was like, I've never seen this. And he was like, how have you never seen Alien, you fucking weirdo? And, you know, I was kind of like, well, I'm not going to see it now either. And we got it home and I put it in the DVD player. And within two minutes, I was like, put your fucking pants back on. No one cares about your ass right now. We're watching this movie. And the next day I went back and I, I rented Aliens. 
the day after that, I bought the Alien Quadrilogy, but like I bought the, I'm sorry, I bought the Alien DVD Anthology because that's what was out at the time. And I watched the director's cut and the regular's cut and then the director's cut and the regular cut and then the, you know, the producer's reimagining and the, the original cut and then and, and Resurrection and all of my friends, like I actually have a collection of alien plushes. Uh, the xenomorph is the cutest thing in the entire world. My husband understands that I don't want children because I can't have a pet xenomorph. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. So you became like a, like a big fan of the franchise. I'm literally looking at like 17 or 18 alien toys in my, in my recording studio where I'm recording this right now. It's like literally, it's it's my favorite franchise of cinema. I watch Alien, the director's cut, every year on my birthday as a birthday present to myself. So I'm very excited to be here. Oh, nice. Nice. Cool. My first experience with Aliens, I have a very vivid memory of this, actually. I was about seven, and this is kind of grew up like Chris in a way where, like, I watched a lot of movies when I was young when I shouldn't have, probably. Like, saw Die Hard early. I would go to sleepovers and... the cool kid's mom would let us watch Nightmare on Elm Street movies and just subjected to things that probably shouldn't have. I just watched my cousin Vinny. Did no one else watch, like, funny adult movies? Did everybody watch scary adult movies? I was like, I want to watch A Few Good Men. Of course, of course you did. I was always like, hey, can we watch Network? God, you were such a fucking precocious Max Fisher-esque kid, weren't you, Nico? You remember me. I was so strange. I remember this one day where my cousin was babysitting my brother and myself, and he didn't know what to do with us, so he was going to take us to a movie. And he took us to see Aliens in 1986. I remember going and sitting there and just fucking loving it. I just thought it was so much fun. I had never really known about the Alien franchise. And I mean, how could I? I was like a seven-year-old kid. And I remember afterwards, like, playing with my brother, playing Marines in the backyard with him. That's so awesome. Like, alien hunting. So it's just kind of funny how this movie eventually spawned this franchise that evolved into toys and video games and PG-13 movies and kind of catered to a younger audience at some point. And then when Alien 3 came out, I was, I guess, 12 or 13 years old, and I remember going to see it with one of my best friends at the time who had an alien door poster where it was a xenomorph bursting, like, through his door. So he was a huge fan, and I gotta tell you, I think I fell asleep watching this movie in theaters the first time. I was pretty disappointed then, and upon reviewing, I was, again, pretty disappointed. I eventually saw Alien... The first one, sometime in high school also, I think around the time of Aliens 3 I rented it, but even though I don't think all the movies are successful, I'm just in love with the look of the Xenomorph and the style of H.R. Giger, and to see all that art come to life is what I enjoy, I think, the most from the franchise, when story-wise it might be lacking from time to time. Can I add, I think, around this time, and thus, again, me being a seminal age, I just don't want to leave it out, the Alien vs. Predator video games, I think, really And also... Toyline, and, and Dark Horse Comics, and we were inundated with it on uh, WPIX cartoons and Nickelodeon. Of all the franchise, it's kind of interesting that this is one of those R-rated movies that spawned... A kid's line. Yeah, kid's toys yeah. and cartoons at one point, and all this gaming stuff. Hey guys, we need to come up with a new product line for kids. Do you remember that movie about giant alien penises that rape people in space? I feel like we can make a product line. Let's start with purses. That's what makes it so bizarre to me is 
the context of the alien films do not lend themselves to Saturday mornings. You know, I mean, sure, anything can be toyetic. You know, you can sell a toy of anything, especially nowadays with older collectors. But it is very strange that there's nine Alien 3 games for nine different systems out Holy there Lord. and that they really tried to push this movie in that direction. Well, and I mean, I don't know if it's cool to talk a little bit about the background on the film before we get into it. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is basically a Tales from Production Hell. Like, yeah. There's actually a nice, there's a book series, Tales from Development Hell, and like this would have fit in perfectly in that story. Yeah. So originally, after the enormous success of Aliens with James Cameron, they immediately, you know, they started talking about making Alien 3, and James Cameron Cameron was interested, but had other stuff going on, like Terminator. I sometimes laugh because James Cameron, before Titanic, was best known for sequels and now can't seem to make his own. He can't seem to get Avatar 2 out, so I just think that's really funny. I'm still waiting for Titanic 2. Anyway, so they tried to make Alien 3 and Sigourney Weaver walks away because it, it's terrible and they're like not paying her enough. So they, they rewrite the movie without Ripley. Like that works. Yeah, there's a William Gibson script, which is like the Hicks draft. Oh my God, it's so unreadable. Have you read it? I discovered it this morning and I didn't have time to read it, but I, I skipped to the end and I see that it's his movie. It's like not a Ripley film. Right. It, it makes no sense. It does not fit this franchise. It is so clearly we had another film and we just slapped a name on it. Then they need to find a way to reinsert Ripley. Ripley, then no Ripley, then Ripley. And they had already filmed stuff when she came back, so they had to find ways to include her. The cardinal rule of Alien is that it was a takedown of toxic masculinity by presenting the idea of rape against men by these giant penis monsters. Like, that's kind of one of the major things that they focused on in writing the first one. And yet somehow the third one is on a prison colony and the only woman in it nearly suffers a rape. And so it's just sort of like, what the fuck were you thinking? And it originally had that amazing, amazing teaser, that teaser trailer that came out in like 1991 and it slowly panned through space and it's like the aliens are going where you've never seen them before and it shows you the planet Earth. Yeah, on Earth, they will hear you scream. That's so fucking cool, but then we didn't get that, and instead we got this godforsaken sad sax movie, and it's just so bad. Yeah, I need to know who the person was who was like, well, you know, we did a really good horror movie, and then we did a really great like sci-fi action movie. What if we did a two-and-a-half-hour Jesus parable? for the third one. And a boardroom was like, it's like the exact opposite boardroom of the fucking Gremlins too. These people were like, hmm, well, yes, I guess. How could we make it more boring? Hmm, yes, hmm. This is insane. Like, it's 1992, so part of me feels like the executives are like, all right, we need to tap into these young, unknown indie directors. Like, get me the next, you know, Robert Rodriguez on the phone or whoever. This man made a Muzak video. They actually went to Rennie Harlan first. And just think, 15 years later, it would have been directed by Mick G. Well, Rennie Harlan was coming hot off of Ford Fairlane and, and turned this down and ended up making Cliffhanger, I think. Oh, nice. And then they, they found some guy, Vincent Ward, who made this obscure film from Australia called The Navigator, A Medieval Odyssey. Huh. And that is like a, about a group of monks who accidentally find themselves digging a hole into the future to find a cure for their village. It's very interesting. That sounds like the best goddamn movie I've ever heard. I would love movies. Yeah, I'm really hyped to see this. Hell yeah. Yeah, right? It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, Navigator a Medieval Odyssey. And so this guy, Vincent Ward, wanted to basically do that, but like in space. He, he envisioned a planet which was basically a giant monastery, and Ripley would crash there, and it would be a religious sort of parables, kind of like what they end up doing a little with Prometheus and Covenant. No, we don't ever talk about Covenant. The alien lends itself to tell a story like that, but this is not the way to tell that story. I could see someone saying, yeah, the, you know, I, I get that. But then someone else probably came in and said, you know what really worked better? People running around an industrial zone trying to play hide-and-seek. That's what people liked in the first movie. That's what people liked in the second movie. We really need to do something in, like, the first one had truckers, the second one had marines. Like, we can't just have a bunch of monks trying to fight this thing. Like, they needed to toughen it up somehow, and so... They became prison monks. Yeah, like, the monastery became a prison, and that's why we have, like, religious cellmates, like the religious prisoners and everything. That that whole thread is sort of left over from the Vincent Ward draft. When Fincher came in, the executives were like, no, this is going to be much more like the first movie where they're essentially running around a giant ship, it seems, again. Yeah, I, I think that first movie is such a survivor flick. It's such a who will be the last one standing. And you can see how they tried to do it in this one. But I think the mistake was they forgot your characters are supposed to be likable. Any of them. Any of them. Any of them. <laughs> You're supposed to have characters. Period. As opposed to actors with fake names. I'll admit, there's. I've seen these movies so many times. Like, when I say I, I literally watch Alien every year on my birthday, it's not the only time of the year I watch Alien. So I watch parts of this movie a little bit on, like, 1.5 speed. Like, the really shitty parts. And I realized if I did that, the entire movie I thought was shitty, I would do it the whole movie. But it is unbelievable to me. Uh, I just can't get over it. Sorry. It's unbelievable to me how many people die in this movie where I'm like, did you have a name? Yeah. Why do I care then? If you didn't give me the time to get invested in the character, their death means nothing to me. There is a really good movie in here, and I'm sure there's a fan edit or one of many produced edits where like really just focuses on Ripley and like cuts the prisoners down maybe in like half because I really do believe there's a good movie here. It's a well-made movie. I think the lighting is gorgeous and the set design. I think the editing is fantastic and you can kind of uh, even feel some of that 1990s music video thing they had going for it at times with their director and I'm sure the aesthetic they were going for but like it's just not good but it's so close to being good. You're right. It's super close. But like, even then the set, which I agree with you, the set is so complex and so cool. But there is times it looks like somebody said, I like that smells like teen spirit video. Mm -hmm. And I like that laser tag commercial. And I need you to find a way to put them together. Smells like laser tag alien three. <laughs> I, ha I have a couple. Yeah. I want to address a couple things we were just talking about like for one the characters the first two movies everyone was really distinct and they quickly established them and like especially the marines in part oh, two yeah. you know everybody had their own personality from you know hicks to vasquez and the best group of red shirts in history yeah yeah this is just like everybody looks exactly alike i would be surprised if this was a clone factory instead of some kind of foundry and i mean it's not prison-esque to me whatsoever they should have just shot in a prison and called it space jail <laughs> space jail instead of building all of these sets at Pinewood Studios, everything you see on screen was built from scratch, which is mind-boggling to me. It explains where all the money went, because it didn't go to the special effects. 
The actual compositing of the creature is horrible looking to me. I can't ever get like a really good grasp of the design theory of the alien, how it's changed. I mean, that brings me to something about part threes. Like you were saying earlier, Nico, like the first movie is, uh, you know, sort of like this male rape nightmare kind of thing going on where the big penis monster is out to get you. And then in this one, it's sort of a reversal. And that feels like the nature of a part three. They're like, okay, this is the third movie. Like, instead of Ripley being the strong female in charge, now she's going to be the weak female who's not in charge. And it's just like, it feels so against her character. Like, this doesn't really feel like Ripley to me a lot. And I think that that is sort of a consequence of trying to do the wrong different thing with the movie. And yeah, I actually think there's very little wrong with Alien Resurrection that isn't attributable to following Alien 3. That's clearly another story. Four for the win! But you're absolutely right. Alien number one was like penis terror. And Alien number two was like lots of sperm. And Alien number three was like Yannick Nightmare. And it's just unbelievable to me how much... There's even like little subtle ways in which this movie is very anti... I don't want to say anti-women, but there's really subtle ways in which we're supposed to feel bad for the men in this film in a way that we're not meant to feel bad for the men in the other films. For one thing... The other films had more than one woman. This literally is incapable of passing the Blechdel test because the only other woman in it is a corpse. And that's fucking weird. And that's a problem for me. But number two, I'm going to sound like an asshole and, like I'm, and, I'm, and I'm fucking just trying to pick a fight. But it is unfortunate to me that the creature the xenomorph first manifests in is a dog because this is a movie about how there's no women and the men are left to fend for themselves and the first thing the alien does, the first thing that the creature brought here by the first woman to come here does is kill man's best friend. And like, it just bothers me really bad. There's a visual to it I don't like, which is why in the the producer's cut, it's a cow. Yes. Yeah, so there's the dog cut and the ox cut. The dog cut is the theatrical version. I feel like the ox cut plays a lot better, but I didn't pick up on what you just said, but I totally buy into that. You're absolutely right. Like, there's nothing you can do to get me against you sooner than kill a dog. I understand it's supposed to be the alien that does it, but I'm already against the alien, and now this feels obligatory, and I'm sort of against the movie early on for, for killing the dog so soon. Yeah. It feels way too much like it's aping The Thing, which does that, I think, really well. But have you guys seen the gif of the, I guess it's a behind-the-scenes test shot, where the initial design for the alien dog after its birth was literally just a actual dog with a mask on its head? And it's hilarious. <laughs> oh, yes, I think... I think I saw a photo of that. Yeah, they tried to actually dress a dog I up. forgot all about that. It's so good. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. It's like a bobblehead. They eventually use, like, a rod puppet against blue screen. Well, I'll say this. Like, one thing I do like about this movie that feels like a part three, like an evolution of the Alien franchise, is having the creature gestate in something other than a human. There was a whole toy line, right? Where there's like a bull alien and like a whatever alien and a this alien and a snake alien. Like, I think that's really cool. And I wish that it crash landed in a zoo so that it could become all different types of animal aliens. Xenomorphs bought a zoo. Were you aware that they change design every film? Yeah, I knew that they tweaked it, but it always came out of a person. So therefore, it's always standing on two legs and it always 
looks like a guy in a suit. And I really feel like this time they could have had it on all fours. And I don't just don't know why that we don't get a really clear shot of a guy in a suit on all fours in this movie looking more dog-like. I think it's just all the mistakes they made. I wish they sold that better. Yeah, I think they just, I think, you know, Chris, I think you're defending the film inside the film. You yes. know what I mean? Like, we all have that friend. And we're like, when you can get past the minor racism and when you can get past the fact that he, like, screams that he's held back by all the women that don't love him and when you can get past the fact that he blames everyone else for his problems he's actually a really good smart funny guy and we all have that friend alien 3 is that friend we're trying to root for it i think mine is more like i see the sad kid in class and there's something about it that makes me just want to protect him from all the bullies even though maybe he brings it on himself sometimes oh my god why we've been friends for so long i love you so much buddy I guess I just see the fact that uh, I admire that this movie decides to use the passion of Joan of Arc as, like, one of its major visual motifs, really nailing that crossover between fans of Alien franchises and, like, drier, silent films. It's just amazing. That's funny. I never put that together. I mean, I, I love that movie. Oh, dude, the shaved head, the prison planet of men, the Jesus stuff. It's basically a remake. It's all there. You're so right. And it is her holy crusade. Holy shit. It's her duty because it's speaking inside of her. Holy shit. Dude, I'm telling you, she dies with her arms outstretched like a fucking Creed video. Sacrificing herself for humanity. Holy, with arms wide open, now everything has... As the devil tempts her, like, it is literally just a, a big remake of Passion of Joan of Arc. It's too bad they couldn't focus on that. Once Fincher was brought in, the movie was already being shot for the most part. So I don't blame Fincher. I champion him for, you know, finishing this movie and actually making something watchable, at least. Like, I don't like it. I don't think it's good. But I understand if people like it and are into it because there are those aspects of it that should work and should work better. But there's just it's mired down with too much other shit like this planet. Like it could have just been a found or just have been a prison but it had to be like a prison that was shut down and now there's like 20 people left who are also still prisoners but running the planet like it's very sort of confusing as to the setup here what's going on oh i don't disagree that you could fix this with 10 new minutes of footage and removing 20 minutes of footage i don't disagree with that you know that's like magical perfect world where i can ensorcel whatever i want and like get the perfect movie uh, what i'm stuck with destroyed the franchise and what I'm stuck with was was really a, a critical low point. I even I understand why a lot of people dislike Resurrection, and I'm not defending it because of Joss Whedon, because it's not that because of Joss Whedon's clever puns that Resurrection works at all. It's because of Sigourney Weaver's performance that Resurrection works at all. I think Resurrection took bolder chances and should be remembered more fondly. This thing just plays out like a prison. Like I mean, it literally just plays out like weird bits of different hardcore. 90s genres without really tying it together because the other thing is the story in this movie boils down to one sentence and like not in a wow you can really say that in one sentence kind of way in like a, there's actually not a whole lot of plot ripley realizes the aliens have come to this planet inside of her and she has to kill herself so no one can abduct her and find more aliens in her it's not like even much of a plot it's actually just 10 minutes she should have just hit herself in the head with a rock on the ship you know what I mean? There's just not enough that this movie needed to be an hour and 47 minutes of my life. I guess the movie thinks that that is a dilemma or a point of contention or like a race against the clock. It's like, well, how will they get it out of Ripley? And then there's that kind of point where that's offered to her. But 
yeah, it doesn't work. It just feels like it's slowly dragging towards the inevitable at all points. Yeah, I mean, it's completely predictable. I mean, it, it almost feels like a remake or a re or like half a reboot of the first movie in a way, not thematically, beat-wise, beat by beat. They're just going to be chased around by this single alien, and and it's mostly going to be cool shots and mood. But yeah, I agree in part four, at least that movie is batshit. Check this out. Like, all these years later, we cloned the Ripley from a drop of blood with the alien in her, and it's like, what? Oh, I'm fucking on board for this. This is going to be, you know, bonkers. Right, at least it's bonkers right yeah. this they came into like you can totally see the end from the beginning and it's very confusing because they want to keep this franchise going or else they wouldn't be making more movies and yet it feels like this is the last this is going to be it like we're closing the chapter because without ripley for the most part it seems like there's no aliens i mean that's the general consensus like you gotta have sigourney weaver until like recently now with like fastbender doing the prequels and all that shit going on and uh, whatever happened there but like that for the most part is if we don't have ripley there's no alien movie and so like if she dies here what what the hell what are they doing it's just weird they wrote themselves like into a creative corner yeah, that's why four I have to just forgive four because three is a dead end. I like three a lot more than I like four, but I've seen Resurrection more because it's at least a hangover movie and you can like vaguely pay attention to it and come in and out of consciousness. But like Alien 3, you're, ju- you're just out. You're <laughs> just asleep if you go into that. It puts you out. Like I agree with part four. Like it's a step above AVP, you know, oh, yeah. like it really, it's kind of schlocky. Shouldn't love it as much as I do, but it works for what it is. Can I ask a quick question to you guys that I was thinking about? that came to me yesterday. Nico and I were talking about The Last Jedi, and I'm not going to do spoilers for that here, but I'm just going to say it's a movie that was really daring. It took a lot of surprising steps and had no real fan service whatsoever. In fact, sometimes you might say it was very aggressive towards the hardcore fans. But here, I think one of the things that people hate the most about this movie is its total like backspacing of all of Alien 2 with characters that we kind of came to love. Like, if that just didn't happen, somehow, do you think this movie would be better liked? Like, to just get off on the wrong foot with people? I think one of the problems I have with this movie, I want to frame my direction of thought for my response. What I'm hearing you say is one of the things that makes Star Wars Episode Eight so great is that it is aggressively brave. It chose to do daring new things, and in many ways, almost to spite fan speculation. It doesn't care about fan service. It's just like, we are doing this for the sake of the film and its story, and not for you, guy who wants to see Mara Jade in Episode Nine or whatever. Yes, a hundred percent. Okay. The problem with Alien 3 is that it is not interested in doing what uh, Rian Johnson was interested in doing. Alien 3 seems more concerned with getting away from the end of James Cameron's 2. It doesn't seem like what it wants to do is go in a bold new direction. It seems like it wants to go in a reductive new direction. It's not trying to make a bold statement about the ideas that support this universe. In fact, it doesn't even really talk about the universe. Mm. One of the things about Alien is that they understand at a certain point, fuck, if we fail, this thing could get out. Because our ship will land somewhere, someone will pick up a distress call from us at some point, we could cause the end of the world, basically. Aliens, it's the same thing. While they constantly remind us 
that that is what's at stake here, it never really feels like that's what's at stake here. What it kind of feels like here is Ripley's gonna suck it to the man. And I think if this had been helmed by people who had the opportunity to say, this is the statement I would like to make on this franchise, the way Rian Johnson got to do with The Last Jedi, it would be different. But the problem here is this doesn't even really feel like an alien movie. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. even feel like they're trying to move alien in a new direction. It just doesn't feel like an alien movie. It feels like somebody said, make an alien movie. I just don't hate the decision to kill off those two from the from Jump Street. I feel like it's like halfway there. Like if it, maybe if Fincher was on board from the beginning and his idea was to sort of deconstruct the franchise, which I think is a great thing to do when you get to the third part is sort of look back on the franchise and say like, all right, what else is this about? How else can we express that? And giving the finger to the fans could be a way to go. I think it worked for The Last Jedi really well. I was pretty much done with Star Wars until I saw that movie and now I'm like, oh, look at this. There's so much more to offer. Yeah. This movie, though, by killing Newt and Hicks and Bishop right away. Bishop? Why would you do that to Bishop? It's very off-putting, and this isn't the time in 1992. I feel like the audience isn't sophisticated enough now. They get inside jokes. They get meta-commentary. They understand when a movie is talking about itself. I don't think 1992 audiences would have picked up on that, even if it was done correctly, but I feel like that would have been a great way to go. The movie is much more concerned with Wipeout, Newt, Hicks, and Bishop because they're not from the first movie. We want to get back to Ripley and the Alien, and that's that as much as possible, and I also feel like that's why there's all these clones here. No one is a distinct personality except for the Dylan character, Charles S. Dutton. So it would have been a great way to go. I don't think the series ever even gets there. Ridley Scott has been trying to do stuff like that with the new films and kind of blowing it. I have a lot of thoughts on... Uh, Covenant was one of the worst things that's ever happened to me. Yeah, I think it's pretty bad, too. He didn't want to make an alien movie. He wanted to make a religious allegory about androids. And the studio was like, no, because this is the alien franchise. Too bad. You have to stick it in there. Somehow. Yeah, I mean, I think Prometheus is one of the bravest movies I've ever seen. I don't know that it's all great. I don't know that it's all even, you know, it's all well made. Interesting note about Prometheus. That's where Rennie Harlan wanted to go. He wanted to go back to the alien homeworld here. And I really feel like Prometheus is a better part three if you want to really get down to it. Like, you you could go alien aliens and then just go straight to prometheus and and see how the clusterfuck sort of began i guess and see the backstory there i would be okay with that you know when you love something you want everything in that thing to be good and you want to defend it and you want to you want to protect it right like one of the reasons i'm like oh please attack any marvel cinematic universe film you would like to attack please go after it it's fine it's because there's like 76 of them and i still have the comics and I'm really good about, like, we, we were just, uh, we tore really hard into Tori Amos yesterday in the episode. Like, actually, like, we kind of made fun of her a little bit in, like, a good way, not, like, insulting. Like, mm-hmm. we kind of talked about the fact that there's times she just seems like a caricature <laughs> yeah. of a person. She's just so over the top. And I would never get defensive as an adult if somebody was like, yeah, I don't think I can listen to this chick because she screams about nothing and she writes songs about how she's a Native American because she's one eighth Native American and I can't. I just can't. I'd be like, no, I totally get it. But I think one of the big mistakes they made with Prometheus into Covenant and it reflects back on Alien 3, I promise, is the original film is so scary because of all of the things you don't know. 
that's one of the huge things about Alien that makes Alien so scary. So the thought of trying to go back to the the questions by giving answers is the stupidest thing in the world. I am so much more afraid of the thing behind the door that I have no idea what the fuck it is than when you show me the monster. The least scary part of Cloverfield is the monster. And there's not much particularly scary about Cloverfield. I think I am personally much more afraid of the unknown than I am of the known. And so much of Alien is from our characters' points of view, and it's about the characters. It's not about special effects showing off giving birth to an alien. Alien 3 seems to be about, in many ways, look at what we're doing. And it's, don't show me how the sausage is made. Don't show me the prestige. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. And Alien 3 has a hard time with that. Prometheus, actually, in a lot of ways, did it really well because Prometheus created far more questions than it answered. Covenant sought to answer every single one of those questions while also splicing in a horror film. Mm. And I don't understand why. But in a lot of ways, it's the same thing with this movie. This movie is equal parts horror film and also answer lots of questions that nobody wanted answered. Yeah, I feel like that's going to be a thing on this show in getting to third movies is the idea of questions being answered that you don't need answered. Yeah. So far, this is the first movie. This is only the fourth episode, but it's only the first movie that has actually tried to do that. The first film I did was Superman 3. Ah! Barely tried to be a movie. Which is pretty much a standalone adventure that doesn't reference the previous films. Then we did Jaws 3. Jesus. <laughs> and even though that has characters from the previous movie, it didn't need to. It could have very much just been its own thing. And that is, that, believe it or not, gets into sort of a weird meta commentary on theme park attractions turning against the patrons. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. After Westworld, but before Jurassic Park. And then we did Rocky 3. Jesus. Which beautifully transitions and shows the characters growing and changing and the story continuing in a very sort of honest direction. This movie, though, it's the first of the shows that I've done where I'm just not behind it. Like, I'm, not, I'm just not into what it's doing. I, I, I want the evolution of the story. I don't want this sort of backtracking of the material. I wanted Ripley, Hicks, and Bishop, and Newt to go on an adventure, whatever that was going to be. They could have died, but kill him off at the 30-minute mark, and she could have died too along the way. I'm not saying I want the William Gibson draft. I'm just saying I don't really want what we have here. You get what you get. You know, I think there's so many movies that you read about where it started as one thing and then it becomes another, and I know I've already made the accusation of that with this Alien film, but I almost wonder what would happen if they did try to extract out, like, prison monks from the rest of this film mm. because I would actually almost really enjoy it. It's going to sound so stupid and I obviously know I'm making fun of myself here but if in 1992 they were like well what the fuck movie is there even left to make? Oh the end of 2 wasn't so bad. Ripley crash lands the next day. She's fine. She and her friends go and have a normal life and they're all reuniting for their weekend where they see each other and hang out and they all decide to play laser tag and this year they even let Newt tag along. Oh shit the aliens are coming and like I would have been fine with that. I literally would have been fine with that. The problem is they worked so hard to bring together all of these. And like, this is, I'm not sure how we're not all hitting this really hard. This is the most 90s movie ever. This is the most 90s movie ever. Well, I feel like what you just described would have been more 90s. Like, go over the top. Go Demolition Man. Don't 
go passion of the Ripley. But the passion of the Ripley is something we're reading into it. If we just look at this movie on the surface, it's like, seriously, it's war veteran action hero woman crash lands in underwear on planet of all male prisoners, the worst of the worst, as they're described, who have found religion with an earnest crew of people just trying to right the wrongs and hold it together. I mean, there's a rape sequence. There's everything but like a 90s Nike basketball sequence. Which comes in the next movie. Yeah, it really does. (laughs) There's just so many ways in which this is one of the most 90s movies I've ever seen to just such a boring extent. And hearing you guys defend the parts of the movie that you're defending, I am kind of like, you know, the things they're saying are things I would have really enjoyed seeing explored further. I'm just, I'm left with this sour taste in my mouth because this was such a cutting edge franchise and it was an accidentally cutting edge franchise. Don't forget they had originally gender blind cast the first film. Originally they thought they were going to have Tom Skerritt in the Ripley role. And they changed that. And that's really cool. That's really cool. This movie didn't seem to have happy accidents. It just sort of had directors passing the buck to somebody else. Yeah, it had real accidents instead of happy ones. (laughs) It was like Spider-Man, turn off the light on your way to the bathroom. Oh, I'm sorry. That's what my husband and I refer to as the Spider-Man musical that nearly killed all those people. Turn off the dark? Yeah, we call it Spider-Man, turn off the light on your way to the bathroom. I was just thinking, like, with how this movie feels about the the tone, like, the setting of this film does seem like they've almost gone back in time, like, one of those Star Trek episodes where, like, they land on a planet that's 1920 for some reason, or, like, a holodeck episode. Like, it feels like they went back in time, and now I kind of just want to see a movie with most of this exact script where, like, a woman in a boat in, like, I don't know, some mid-middle ages washes up on an island where there's all these monks and her daughter and husband are killed in the shipwreck and there's a fucking Jabberwocky out there or something like that. Like, I just want to see that movie. Maybe it's made in, like, the 70s in, like, Italian Technicolor. But, like, I just want to see this taken out of the Alien franchise. Like, just extract all of that stuff. That's what I was saying. What if we make this two different movies? What if there's the Ripley versus Alien movie? And then what if there's the this plot? Because it's just that they don't work together. Yeah. Yeah, you got my aliens in my peanut butter here or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's just like a cool Italian horror movie from the 70s that can be made from this that that is for some reason slammed into Alien 3. What if she crash landed in the past, like went through a temporal wormhole? I mean, that might have been idiotic, but it would have been new (laughs) and it would have accounted for why everybody does feel you're right. Like they're sort of in the Middle Ages here because this is the super far distant future and it doesn't feel like it. So that's a little jarring as well. Like we go from like all this future stuff from the first, well, at least the second movie is very sort of futuristic with the terraforming and everything to this, which is just zero tech. I like that idea, Chris. I want to see that movie now. And, like, it needs to give birth to a new genre in my head. Like, in my head, I'm hearing, like, rape and revenge and railings, and she crash lands on the prison colony, and she fights them off, but they leave her for dead, and she comes back, and she kills them all one by one. She's the alien! (laughs) Like, I love that movie. I mean, I just... There's good stuff here, and to the people listening who are, like, trying to figure out if they should watch Alien 3, like, just remember what we've been talking about, really, is Sigourney Weaver's role, some of the set design, this overarching, very obvious theme throughout, but we're not talking about any of the... I, I accidentally, I found, I just watched the assembly cut, so for me... Oh, no, you watched the really good one! It was so good for you! I I'm know. so jealous! Or at least the better. Let's just yeah. call it the better cut. Yeah, no, it's still bad, but compared to what I just watched, I'm so jealous. 
But if you take away that stuff I'm talking about, that's still two hours and 20 minutes of a movie that we are not talking about whatsoever. This movie has Charles S. Dutton, Charles Dance, like, and they're both trying. And it's got a bunch of other characters and it's got some cool death scenes. Like, we're not talking about any of that because this movie generally is not the sum of its parts. No, that's a really beautiful way to put it. Yeah, this movie is not the sum of its parts. Yeah. And those are all the parts they want us to be talking about, too. Like, oh, look at Charles Dutton is so, he's running the prisoners. And then look at the medic is like falling in love with Ripley. It's like, I don't feel any of that shit. And then it's like, look at the cool deaths. And it's like, they're not that cool to me, really. You can't really tell what exactly is happening. <laughs> you know? It's like, it always just seems to be like, kind of a shot of the alien. Um, the mouth thing goes through the guy's cranium, and then something falls on the floor, and everyone runs away. I feel like that's what they want us to be discussing. It's exactly what we're not talking we're about. We're treating it like there's secretly some sort of American Beauty, Alan Ball-esque cut of this film that's like eight hours long and every one of the prisoners gets a 45-minute backstory and inexplicably they're all about dental work and cucking. Well, uh, not to spoil the surprise, but my one segment at the end of the show is about the novelization. Mm. And the author of the novelization wanted to do all that, wanted to give all the characters a backstory, wanted to keep Newt alive, wanted to go in a different direction, and ultimately the novelization is of the 2003 extended cut, but it came out years oh, earlier wow. in paperback. Wow. That also makes me wonder why you didn't do Three Ninjas Knuckle Up. We're gonna get there. <laughs> is that the one with Hulk Hogan? Because I have the, I actually have the novelization of that if you need it. Oh my god. <laughs> I want to say real quick that I like how mean this alien is. I feel like this is like a meaner alien because it's like a baby alien that plays with its food and stuff like that. I actually have an explanation for it. It's when they're human, they're cunning. When they're animal, it's instinct. Oh. It's behaving like oh, a like dog. That. Yeah. It's it's like playing with its food the way a human doesn't. We cut our food, we masticate, and we swallow. Dogs will like kind of bite their food and pull it apart and then kind of slap it a few times and then shit on it and then eat it again and then throw it up and then eat it again. It's just behaving like a dog. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, it's like a big mean motherfucker. I do like what they're trying to do with the xenomorph. Taking it in a new direction is cool. Not having it come out of a person is cool, but... I wish it looked more different. It, it kind of has like a mane almost, like a lion's mane. And then at times, they, it, what they refer to the puppet as in the extra features is called, they refer to it as Bambi because it sort of has like those deer legs to a degree and kind of runs a bit like a forest creature, I guess, on all fours and stuff. But I just needed more clear shots of it and, and less composites. At the same time, I want less clear shots of it because the handful of clear shots I got left me very embarrassed. Well, that's the thing. I wanted a better, I guess, design. I Because I, I really like it conceptually, like the idea of it coming out of a, a different creature than a person. I, I just wish it was much more explicit, you know? I mean, it is almost, Chris, like Gremlins too, right? Where, like, you've got all these different types of Gremlins. Like, I wanted all these different types of aliens kind of running around. You got to play the video game for that. So there's a major inconsistency with this film right from the get-go is that there's one egg left behind by the queen, and yet the facehugger is able to impregnate Ripley and the dog or the ox, depending on which cut you watch. So I feel like subconsciously I have like a layer of confusion throughout the film, wondering how exactly this alien did that. Did any of you notice that or have any theories on that? So the alien in one is, oh my God, it's so creepy. It just pops up and you just get these like, ah, 
kind of images of it. Aliens in 2 are... They're sort of what I imagine barbarian soldiers to be portrayed as. The aliens in 2 aren't, like, super particularly intelligent, but, like, they work as a hive. This alien... I don't know. I, you know, and I hate this movie in so many ways, and now all I can do is dream about the better movie that could have been. This movie's like getting a blowjob and realizing ultimately you don't like blowjobs. That's a good point. You made me realize that this is the first time we see an alien without, like, a queen, like a hive queen to report to. And I wonder if that is also kind of canonically an aspect that changes how the alien performs as well. It's in Ripley, I guess. So, like, however it got there, she is the queen. So I guess that's why it's not killing her throughout the movie. Which I kind of like, too. I like what they're trying to do with the creature itself. It's just, like Nico was saying, this doesn't feel alien proper to me, either. So I just kind of wish, like we've been saying, these ideas were split into two different films. Yeah, just, I really want the Joan of Arc film, and I really want the Ripley film. Now, I guess my only other question is, can I bring up the ending of the movie since we've been rambling for almost an hour? I was just thinking about it. Yeah, we're getting to wrap up, so yeah, let's talk about this ending here. When she jumps backward to kill herself so that, who may or may not be Bishop, because I can't believe with the time passage that would have had to have occurred between the two films that the guy who could have created Bishop would look that (laughs) young. Time dilation theory. There's no way that's the guy that's totally an android. Even if he doesn't know he's an android, he's gotta be. Right. Yeah, even if he was created to believe that, you know, even if we're putting a lot of thought into this. So what really spits in the face of this movie is the Xenomorphs managed to rape everybody in the first two films, but Ripley and the people she's able to protect in the second film. In the third film, that she has the alien in her kind of makes the argument now that Ripley has been raped. And it's in the movie where she escapes a rape and that the baby bursts out of her as she's killing herself and she caresses it. She's not trying to hold it back from getting to them. She's holding it like it's hers Mm -hmm. it's almost like she's like i'm gonna take my rape baby to term and then off us at the same time and there's something really uncomfortable about it but there's something beautifully serene in kind of like an aronofsky way that she's like this is my nightmare it's it's the last moment i'm going to have i'm going to love this baby because when you think about it she's really only been awake like ripley's life the last 10 days of her life (laughs) has been waking up on different planets running from these aliens and she's like you know what it's been a weird 10 days this is my baby like the last few movies for her it's been like a week but in theory it's been like hundreds of years or something and she's been asleep most of that time yeah the ending is something that I do like about the assembly cut. I know we weren't going to do comparisons here, but um, it more shows her falling backwards in the Christ pose. It doesn't have the burst at all because it like respects the audience slightly more. Like we understand why she's killing herself. The audience isn't full of chuds, but they really felt the need to do that. But I, I kind of laugh every time it bursts out of her when she's falling. It's like mashing up the picture of the Virgin Mary holding Jesus and like the thumbs up from Terminator 2. That's exactly what I thought of. It's like one really stupid baby that pops out of all of our collective chests before we fall into the fire. I just want to back up a minute before she jumps into the lava. This strike team that shows up from Whalen yutani like, what a joke. They've got a bishop droid, some doctor, and like three guys with guns, and they're coming to take down a xenomorph? 
they clearly have no idea what they're doing or what they're messing with or what to expect. I, I got a big laugh out of that, to be quite honest. Like, these dudes show up and they're supposed to be, like, running shit and it's like they're going camping or something. I thought that was funny. But I also kind of agree. I like that we get to see a chest burster at some point, even though it comes out of her belly. I don't know. Like, I, I almost wish these guys showed up at, like, the hour mark. Like, that seems to be a big complaint with myself with movies I don't like is like things don't happen soon enough. If the strike team showed up at like the hour mark and then they're not only running from the alien but running from these guys and there's like a new human threat as well and then maybe let the alien come out of Ripley, let her die that way and have the alien sort of eat everybody and win. That could be a real downer but that could have been cool. But maybe enough about what could have been. Alien 3, what could have been? Yeah, that's all this podcast has been. We would have liked it more if it was this. We would have liked it more if it was that. I had one last thing I wanted to talk about before we move on, and that's basically Sigourney Weaver shaving her head in the movie. Watching it now, it's weird because it doesn't distinguish her. It sort of says, like, she's one of the guys, and that's, like, a really weird thing to kind of, for me, to sort of accept. Why say, like, she's just like these prisoners who are murderers and rapists when she's been through a whole different kind of ordeal? It's weird how the movie wants to level everybody in that way, to look alike, to sort of not know who's doing what. That was very weird and jarring. Uh, the, a little more I thought about it, I was like, well, maybe it's sort of like a cancer or an AIDS kind of comment where they're saying she's got this thing inside of her that's killing her and she's all sickly looking. But ultimately what I landed on is she looks like what is traditionally considered to be like a, a gray alien, you know, like sort of your token bald, big-eyed alien from mythology. Like, I feel like she looks like one of those in this movie. And so that we have like this classic alien fighting the xenomorph alien. We can team up Mulder and Scully with Ripley next time and have the gray and the xenomorph on the other side. I wish some of that was a little more overt, like especially sort of like the cancer stuff or something like that. Instead, it's just like, oh, look, she's a girl and she shaved her head, you know, and they do that again in a few years with G.I. Jane, where it's like, oh, Demi Moore is so beautiful, but now she shaved her head. It almost felt like a gimmick. Yeah, in this, it just feels like another Passion of Joan of Arc reference to me. Um, I didn't even really think about it. That's good, then. That's good that it worked for someone on some level. Yeah. Because I'm sure that's really more what Fincher would want. Like, I'm sure when he came, because the dude seems super smart, and it seems like when he came to try and take over and finish this thing that he wanted to, like, at least salvage it and not just do it. And trying to allude to those references, I, I feel like maybe... A, his work to a degree. But that's cool. That's definitely something I had not thought about before. Anybody want to mention anything we haven't talked about while we get ready to wrap it up here? Chris, anything? Is this the worst Alien movie? I don't think it is. I don't think it's even close if we're counting Alien Predators. No, I think Covenant is. Alien Predator. Are we counting AVP? Oh, then AVP 2. AVP is good. AVP 2 is terrible. I think they're both pretty terrible. AVP is at least adorable. The second one is weird. It's unwatchable, but it's what I want out of an alien movie now, which yes. is the aliens on Earth. The only problem is they are sort of in like a small town and it's more of like, it's like a, almost like a Night mm -hmm. of the Living Dead kind of thing as opposed to like an alien thing where they're being chased around a small town America. Yeah, I'd be into that. But I would like to see the aliens come to Earth. Um, no, I, you know, I, I don't know that I want to see the aliens come back to Earth. And I, I think, again, it, I don't want these damn questions answered. I just don't. 
you know, and it's going to sound shameless self-promotion. When I'm writing my, my comic book, Kid Riot, when we're writing Kid Riot, one of the things we talk about is what do and don't we need to know? One of our villains is a time-traveling cannibal named Doomerang, and he has a son, Juniorang. And I don't know what made me laugh about it, but I read somewhere online that male seahorses carry the babies and female seahorses are the more aggressive ones that fight to protect their husbands. And so inexplicably, while Juniorang and Doomerang look like Humes, Juniorang's mother slash Doomerang's wife is a photorealistic seahorse. And that just makes me laugh. It just really does. And people are like, are you ever going to explain that? And I'm like, no. Why would I explain that? What's interesting about it is that it's bizarre Mm -hmm. and it doesn't need explanation. One of the things that worked about Prometheus was that they were like, oh, it's a virus. And one of the things that didn't work about Covenant is David being like, look how exactly I've engineered the first film to happen at exactly the precise time. And I just wanted to be like, fuck you. Because the other thing is, and uh, my segue point, I guess, not to, to jump ahead of Chris's segue, but my segue point would be the later prequels rendered the earlier films kind of moot because the plot of Alien is she's like, they're like, oh God, we have to kill this thing or the whole world is doomed. Plot of Aliens are we have to kill all of these things or the whole world is doomed. Plot of Alien is, depending on whether you watch it, cows or dogs are bad. And when you watch... You know, all of these movies, you're like, oh, this is to stop the bad thing. And it it, it also renders resurrection irrelevant when they're like, look, we found a way to create them. Well, no, you've always fucking had them, it turns out. And when you watch the prequels, they give so many, well, specifically Covenant, give so many answers that you just don't want, that you just don't need, that you just don't care about. And Alien 3 attempts to give those answers without actually answering anything. It really, it's like, it's trying to demystify and to fill in the holes, but like, it doesn't have any information. It's that kid that's constantly like, yeah, I speak French. And you're like, speak a little. And he's like, well, you wouldn't understand it anyway. And you're like, mm, you're a dick. That's it. That's my thought. Would you have wanted the Neil Blomkamp Alien 3 that ignores? Yes. You would have wanted it? Well, yeah, I think that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, I was very excited when I saw those drawings and all that artwork for his proposed Alien movie, which was going to say, basically goes Alien, Aliens, and then the Neil Blomkamp movie, that, that everything after that never happened. Yeah. Even if we got Grandma Ripley running around, I don't know how I feel about, like, leave the memories alone kind of for me. Well, that's interesting because unlike the producers, the executives, or whoever, I feel like this franchise would have survived without Sigourney. I don't feel like they needed her necessarily. Well, maybe they did need her for part three, but they didn't need her after that. I feel like they could have sort of handed off the franchise if that was their way of thinking, but they just were really banking on her star power or whatever she had and and, and just trying to milk that for everything that it was worth seems like they didn't have the sight to say or see like we can replace her with someone else he would have been the right guy for it because alien is a franchise that uses symbols to tell stories within a very simple story like all three of them maybe it's part of why this like resurrection the most is because it doesn't do that but pretty much every other of the alien films including covenant and prometheus do that so i think the guy who did chappie and district nine would have had something to say with the franchise but i still don't think i want to see grandma ripley running around as much as i don't want to see grandpa indiana jones running around again I sometimes just like art to exist for the sake of the attempt of making art exist. Oh, hell yeah. I think that's like the Ridley Scott form of thinking, too. Yeah. Where he's just like, let's try it at least. Right. If it fails, at least we tried it. 
I think there's something there's, there was a TV show a couple of years ago called Suburgatory and I think I've mentioned it on uh, now and again it had Jeremy Sisto and Cheryl Hines and Alan Tudyk it did some insane things with character in the second season. The way it handled revealing a character was bisexual, and it did a lot of... It had characters say things, and then when the context was given, sometimes episodes later and you rewatched it, you would shriek at how unbelievably telling of this person it was. You experience it the way the other people in the room experience it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it gives itself meta layers as you go by explaining comments that you thought were just funny or shitty, and now you understand they were actually the person begging for help. And, like, that's a lot of the characters, and it's a really complex show in that regard. And it did really cool things for three seasons. I understand why it was canceled. Not every episode worked, and some of the storylines were a little too stupid. One of the things that's really strange about the show is the main characters all meet when they join their school's medium fan club. Club, the TV show Medium. Two of them don't even watch it, but they're all in the school's Medium fan club. It's just so dumb, and they drop it pretty quickly, but it's just one of those things. It was a really cool attempt to make art that was kind of different, and at Neil Blomkamp's Alien 5, beyond the fact that his name sounds like a sex act, it <laughs> would have been interesting. I don't know that it would have been my favorite, but I promise you I probably would have had to like it more than Covenant. Yeah. Covenant had Jesse Smollett in the shower and nothing else going on. Yeah, for. that I can agree with. I am glad that we uh, will say that one idea that popped up in Alien 3 that led to one of my favorite moments in the entire franchise. I feel like I walked away from Alien 3 the first time being like, how would they extract a living alien from inside of a person uh, without killing the person? And then we got that in Prometheus and it's like the best scene in the franchise. Yeah, in the med pod. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the alien abortion. Yeah, it's so good. All right, so I think we could basically call it on Alien 3 tonight, unless there's anything, you know, you really got to say that we haven't covered. Despite the tone of our conversation, don't watch this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, like, here's a quick list of movies to watch instead of Alien 3. Uh, the Navigator, a medieval odyssey that I mentioned earlier by the guy who was going to direct this. Wreckage and Rage, the making of Alien 3, which is, like, a really long documentary about the behind-the-scenes of this clusterfuck. Dark Star, H.R. Giger, which is a really great Giger documentary. I think it was made right before he passed. Elwin Fortress, directed by Stuart Gordon, starring Christopher Lambert. If you want a really cool sort of future prison movie. Oh, hell yeah. That one kicks a lot of ass. And uh, Passion of Joan of Arc as well, I think. Oh, there we go. Passion of Joan of Arc, of course. Also mentioned a couple times. And if you want to play some games aside from the Alien games, Contra and Metroid are heavily influenced by the Alien series. Oh my god, yes. I didn't even think of that. Those are pretty cool to play through those and see the influences there. All right, guys, so we've come to my one segment that I have. I ask you to please indulge me for a few more moments. Originally, this segment was called Book Club. Now it's called Third Time's a Book. Basically, what I do is I read the novelization of the movie and go through it and look for moments that maybe sort of, you know, shed some more light on our character or the situation or whatever's going on in this story. So this is the Alien 3 novelization by Alan Dean Foster. If you want to know a little bit about the author, Alan Dean Foster is the acclaimed author of movie tie-ins for Star Wars and Transformers, as well as the Alien series, and was awarded the IAMTW Grandmaster Scribe Award in 2008. He is also a best-selling science fiction and fantasy author in his own right, and has written the popular Pip and the Flinix novels and the Founding of the Commonwealth series. 
Oh, of course. I love those. No, I don't. So that's who we're dealing with. I've learned from previous episodes to sort of narrow this down beforehand. Much appreciated. You're welcome. No, basically what I'm going to do is read a few passages from the book, and we'll see if it helps understand what's been going on here. And the first passage is when Ripley shaves her head. I wanted to read this because this is kind of a big thing. We didn't, Nico and I sort of mentioned to each other before the show that the, the bald dudes sort of come back later on in the franchise in Prometheus with the engineers. So, like, if you love your white bald dudes in your Alien franchise, there's more to come down the line. I mean, I'm not saying that my favorite franchise was filled with jacked bald white dudes, so I became one, but, you know, I'm just saying... It's like what I was saying with like a clone factory in part three. It's like they tried to clone you, but they put in like ugly British version instead and like got all these weird looking dudes instead of like good looking dudes. And then they tried to clone me with a little bit of HGH and we got the engineer, so. Right, yeah. Then they made you like twice the size. Well, size and a half. Nico, this is your chance to do your British accent that you're not allowed to do on now and again. Oi, it's me, little alien, and I'm trying to fight me a xenomorph. That's why he's not allowed to do it on our show. All right, so here is page 71 when Ripley shaves her head. Strange to be without hair. It was such a slight, ephemeral part of one's body. The only aspect of one's appearance that could be altered easily and at will. She felt herself physically diminished somehow, a queen suddenly bereft of her crown. Yet it would grow back. Clemens had assured her of that. The prisoners had to shave themselves regularly. There was nothing about the bugs or the air that rendered the condition permanent. She soaped her bare scalp. It was a strange sensation, and she felt chilled despite the roaring hot water. The old mining and smelting facility might be short of many things, but water wasn't one of them. The big desalinization plant down on the bay had been built to provide water for all the installation functions and its full complement of personnel as well. Even at minimal operational levels, it provided more than enough water for the prisoners to waste. There's Ripley shaving her head and taking a shower. And then becoming slightly about the engineering of the facility or whatever. That's what you call novelization writing. It doesn't tend to be very good. Yeah, sometimes these novelizations are not of, you know, sometimes we're like, hey, was this movie originally an alien movie or did they throw in the alien? And sometimes I'm like, was this originally an alien novelization or did they have a really similar book? This is weird because it's the extended cut, too. So there's all those deleted scenes in here as well. So if you watch the movie and bought this book, you're getting a completely different experience, too. But I agree. Like, this movie switches direction by the paragraph like that. I mean, it's not even from... That's I'm going to read most of what is from Ripley's perspective. This is basically told through the eyes of Clemens, the doctor, Andrews, the warden, and Aaron's, the second in charge. Like, that is whose story the book is. So I tried to go through and find all the best Ripley parts for us. Honestly, I kind of like that. Especially if, if it, I'd like it more if it was like entirely about monks, but like these idea of these isolated people and this complete alien, basically a woman to them would be an alien creature, comes in and just brings stuff that fucks up their entire way of life. And like one person just kind of telling the story and being like, yep, that happened. That's actually kind of cool. 
holy shit, and she is an alien. She crash lands on their planet and brings about their devastation. Mm -hmm. What's the problem, though, is that the guy telling the story dies, and then the next guy telling the story dies, <laughs> and then the next guy dies. So, like, it, it, like, hands it off to the next guy. I love that, and I wish it was, like, more of a connected strand through the novelization, which I'm assuming it's not. But, like, how all H.P. Lovecraft stories end with, like, the person writing a letter, right, as, like, oh, no, I can hear it. It is outside of my door right now. Like, <laughs> it's just, hey, what do I hear tap-tapping on my window? And it just cuts off, and it picks up to the next person. Like, I found this bloody diary. Time to continue the writing about what happened when this woman landed on our prison planet. I am the recorder now. It is my job. You know what I mean? In that, like, in that it's apostles to, to Joan of Arc. That would have been cool if only Alan Dean Foster had gone in that direction. Well, and he actually wrote the, he wrote the classic Star Wars novelizations, if I'm not losing my mind, right? And those are the ones that, like, go a little bit off book and then are later adapted into those super creepy, intense, terrifying, insane audio dramas by the BBC. This actually had an audiobook version Ooh. read by Lance Hedrickson. Oh, that's so hot. I love him so much. He's so great. So. so this guy is actually kind of famous for inserting huge chunks of canon that he got by speaking to the creator. So, you know, we're talking about a guy who is kind of known for inserting canon. Well, he definitely tried to flesh this out the best he could. There's a whole thread in this novelization about hypersleep nightmares, which is really cool. The, uh, the fact that you can't wake up from hypersleep, so if you have a nightmare, it can last like an entire year. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. Uh, that, you know, you can't control your dreams when you're under and all that kind of thing. And then she has several nightmares throughout the book where she's, like, hallucinating the alien. We get, like, a very small scene of that in the movie where she thinks she sees it and it's actually just like a pipe or something. But he definitely tries in his way. Here's another passage. This is when Clemens, the doctor, is killed by the alien in the infirmary, and she is witnessing it. Page 152. Even as she fought to make her paralyzed vocal cords function, part of her noted that it was slightly different in appearance than every alien type she had encountered previously. The head was fuller, the body more massive, the more subtle physical discrepancies registered as brief observational ticks in the frozen instant of horror. Clemens leaned toward her, suddenly more than merely concerned. Hey, what's wrong? You look like you're having trouble breathing. I can... The alien ripped his head off and flung it aside. She still didn't scream. She wanted to. She tried. But she couldn't. Her diaphragm pushed air, but no sound. It shoved Clemens' spurting corpse aside and gazed down at her. If only it had eyes, a part of her thought, instead of visual perceptors as yet unstudied. No matter how horrible or bloodshot, at least you could connect with an eye. The windows of the soul, she read somewhere. The alien had no eyes and, quite likely, no soul. Jesus Christ. Hath not a xenomorph eyes? If you stab us, do we not bleed acid? It needed to talk, right? It needed to say, Ripley. No, it needed to open its mouth, and the little mouth needed to go, Ripley. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, this movie stinks. You know, thank you for making this a whole lot more fun than I ever would have thought talking about this movie could be. Yeah. I've got two more. The last one is a real doozy, so let's get through this. This is Ripley thinking about the alien, or thinking about her relationship with the alien. Do I want to take that extra step? Do we want to just commit? Should I meet his parents? <laughs> Page 159. Ripley took up a seat in a corner and lit a narco stick. She found herself remembering Clemens. Her expression hardened. 
Clemens, better not to think of him, just as she'd learned to quickly forget other men with whom she'd form attachments, only to have them snatched away and destroyed by other representatives of the seemingly indestructive alien horde. Except that they were not indestructible, they could be killed, and so long as she was alive, that seemed to be her destiny, to wipe them out, to eliminate them from the face of the universe. It was a calling she would gladly, oh so gladly, have bequeathed to another. Why her? It was a question she had pondered on more than one occasion. Why should she have been singled out? No, she reflected. That wasn't right. Nothing was singling her out. Fate hadn't chosen her to deal with a lifetime of horror and devastation. Others had confronted the aliens and perished. Only she continued to suffer because only she continued to survive. It was a destiny she could abandon at any time. No. Boo. Feed her to the aliens. I guess that's supposed to be foreshadowing or whatever. Here, this line here. She'd formed attachments only to have them snatched away and destroyed by other representatives of the seemingly indestructive alien horde. Like, that feels to me more like an abusive ex kind of thing or something. I don't know, where it's like every time she thinks she's got something, this this alien shows up and fucking ruins her life again and (laughs) insists on being the dominant penis in her life. I mean, yeah. Nico drinking game time. Um, I made a reference Golden Girls. There's an episode of Golden Girls where they're all trying out for a community theater production and they're talking about the actress that always gets the role and she's like 40 years old and they're saying how maybe she's getting a little too old for some of the roles they're casting her in. And B. Arthur's character Dorothy says, oh, like last year when she played Anne Frank, <laughs> the entire second act, people just kept shouting, she's in the <laughs> attic, she's in the attic. Was it a community theater production of Alien? That's kind of how I feel about Ripley in this book. By the way, I would really enjoy the diary of, like, Ripley Frank, where she's, like, hiding from, like, xenomorphs, like, with, like, you know, like, the Nazi armband and stuff, and, like, make a really interesting commentary where xenomorphs are Nazis. That's a very simple mod for Alien Isolation. (laughs) It really is. That's a very easy mod for Alien Isolation, considering that game is entirely about hiding in closets from Xenomorphs. Well, this does feel like she should have been seen writing in a diary during the movie at some point, at least trying to keep a log or a record of what's happening to her. You would think that if she has suspicions that something's inside her, or she wants to at least leave a message to a warning to someone whoever comes next, you know, like people sort of scrawl on the prison wall or roll up messages in the wall for the next prisoner to find or whatever like that. But there's none of that in the movie. So it's just weird that, not that she's writing it down in the book, but that it sounds like a Dear Diary segment. Captain Vlog. Okay, so guys, final passage, and then you're free to go. But I guarantee it'll all have been worth it. This is kind of a gem. This happened in the Rocky Three book, too. This is what makes it all worthwhile for me, basically, is finding something like this in here. Oh, God, I'm really hoping you're saying there were aliens in the Rocky Three book, because I'm like, I've seen Rocky Three and I don't remember the aliens, but I'm really, That's really excited. That's how Mickey excited. died, one burst out of his chest. Just that there's a moment in the novelization that just perfectly encapsulates a character or a moment or a theme that was talked about but isn't exactly crystal clear. In this case, we have been talking about it, and it is sort of clear, but it is never really said out loud. They do try to rape Ripley in the movie, but you never hear her talk about the alien raping her, but we're about to hear that in the novelization in page 219. He gazed down at her. Still sounds like bullshit to me. If you got this thing inside you, how'd it get there? She was staring down at her hands. Well, I was in deep sleep. I guess the horrible dream I had wasn't exactly a dream. I got raped. 
though I don't know that that's a wholly accurate term. Rape is an act of premeditated violence. This was an act of procreation, even if my participation wasn't voluntary. We would call it rape, but I doubt that the creature would. It would probably find the concept, well, alien. She looked thoughtfully, thinking back. Oh, no. Oh my god, I literally yeah. was slack-jawed. Um, uh, um... Uh. Yeah, so that's why I go the extra mile <laughs> and read these fucking things. This book, by the way, 248 pages, and that's basically the only passage worth reading. I, you know, she actually, I think the line in the movie is just, it must have happened while I was in cryosleep. I seriously think that's the line in the movie, and it does bring up the question of amorality versus immorality. Right? It brings up the argument that to the alien, that is just procreation. But number one, I roll at, I guess they would call it alien. And I'm just imagining all of these like xenomorphs sitting around a coffee table going, yes, well, they were trying to tell me that when I inserted my baby into them, that it was not okay. And the other one is like, I've never heard of such a daft thing. No, you should be absolutely welcome to procreate with whomever, this rape notion. <laughs> and then she thought, like, she said thoughtfully. Like, that use of thoughtfully almost makes it sound like she's just sitting back thinking about her rape dream. What the fuck? Nigga, why, why in your, like, hypothetical story are the aliens voiced by Nathan Lane? Uh, when I came out to my father, my father said, you always reminded me of Nathan Lane. <laughs> That's it. That was how my dad told me it was all okay. That's how he told me everything was fine and he was going to love me no matter what. You always reminded me of Nathan Lane. And then he hugged me. I just me. want the, the buddy xenomorph comedy with Nathan Lane and I think the other voice you were doing was Harvey Firestein. No, Harvey sounds like we're this. Just... Oh my God, Ripley, this little mouth inside of my mouth. How am I ever going to get a date with this tiny little mouth? I think the other voice was like Ewan <laughs> McGregor doing something really grating. And that's our Alien 3 rewrite. Well, it brings me to what I really want to see about aliens is they need to start talking. I mean, if you really want to shock the audience and take this shit to the next level. Like the Airbud franchise. Yeah, they should all start talking like the Airbud franchise. A talking alien? Oh my god, and then there's a little baby one and it's always running into walls and it's like, Guys, wait for me! <laughs> And, like, there's an older one, and she's kind of, like, the pretty popular one. And she's like, you guys, I can't believe we have to eat all of these moraines. I wanted to go out with a moraine, not eat a moraine. And then she's probably got, like, an annoying older brother who's just too cool for all of this shit. And he's on whatever xenomorphs do, like, heroin. I don't know. Like, when you're a xenomorph, it's got to be really hard to find heroin. You've got to, like, inject pure, like, Nova juice. But, like... Well, your blood is acid, so you can't even puncture a vein, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's why it might be a reason why they're so pissed off all the time, is because they're normal. Like, they can't imbue, they can't get high, they can't do any of that shit. <laughs> like, all they, all they know is to kill. I get that, I guess. But I'm sure they, they've got to definitely be able to get drunk on something. There's got to be something. There's got to be something that a xenomorph, like, throws back and then he's like, Oh, man, I'm wasted. There hasn't been enough study done. We don't even know if that's an eye they're looking with. The thing about that passage about her talking about being raped is, like, I'm just shocked the movie shied away from that scene. Like, of all the other shit, like, the whole, like, she basically has an alien abortion at the end, gives it to herself, you know? Like, I'm surprised they don't flat out come out and say she doesn't say it raped me i was shocked when i read that in the book i was like whoa but i mean like the way they impregnate it, it's oh it makes me so mad because I, for me like I, I guess rape can include oral sex so i'm being myopic well that's the thing did it attach itself between her legs and that's why it was able to 
then go and attach itself to a cow or a dog or something that it had the capability to lay more than one egg i'm flummoxed yeah i think we just did this movie a real solid yay i just talked for an hour and a half about a movie that i regret Mm -hmm. watching for an hour and 47 minutes chris any final words i can't believe we were so nice to this movie for so long i think what i was saying about this being like the the special kid in class you become friends with i think it's been proven by how kids gloves we were with this movie I give it way too many second chances. I feel like battered boyfriend in this relationship where I keep coming back to the Alien franchise and it keeps punching me in the face. He's the disappointing dad that I was talking about. It's like, oh, he brought me a football this time. I guess I'll give him another chance. Oh, he got he got drunk and didn't make it to my wrestling match again. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's not a good movie. But I do think people should give it another chance if they have only seen it once when they were younger in the context of like just seeing Alien and Aliens. It's a bad movie, but probably not bad for the reasons you remember. I agree. You want to give a last wrap-up? Are you good? I mean, I think I spoke half of the fucking podcast. Yeah, I think I think it's just, I agree. This movie is bad. It's not bad for the reasons you think it's bad. It's bad for completely unrelated reasons. It's bad. And we didn't once talk about the fucking movie. <laughs> we didn't once talk about this movie. Yeah, no. That happens when you get us on the show. That is what happens. We can't talk about any one thing for very long, but man, can we not talk about any one thing for a really long time. Well, if you want to hear Chris and Nico talk about more stuff for even longer, (laughs) they have their own show I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Go listen to them on Now and Again. I was on Now and Again Volume 4, besides A and B, so if you're not tired of hearing my stupid voice, you can go listen to me on that episode. That was a lot of fun. But Chris and Nico, thank you so much for joining me for the Alien 3 show. You are very welcome. Thanks for having me. I really, really enjoyed talking about something I really, really don't enjoy. For all the other episodes of my show, Third Time's a Charm, you can go to cageclub.me. You can check out Chris and Nico's show and all the other great shows that we have in our network. Go to facebook.com slash cageclub and cageclubpod on Twitter. Email at three at cageclub.me. Check us out there. Write to us. Tell us what you think about the show. If you like it, if you don't, feedback, good or bad, always nice. For Third Time's a Charm, I'm Mike, and I'll talk to you next time. Three, that's a magic number. It is. It's the magic number. Three may stub at me, and that's the magic number. What does it all mean? Coming up next on Third Times a Charm. Three.